of Frederick Hand's trilogy, which is, is featured on his upcoming recording release. How are you doing, Fred? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing wonderful. Happy to have you here. Um, I, have to, I have to tell you, you, you to me, you represent something of uh, the closest thing, maybe, that, that the American guitar scene has um, that could be called royalty. And uh, Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I, you're, I've, I've, my first encounter with you and your music and your career was when I was very young, and my guitar teacher at the time had your uh, Vivaldi C major concerto, mandolin concerto, arranged for two guitars, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and and that was probably the, the the really the first really hard thing that I ever worked on, and it was a big step up for me to do that, and it was such a joy to play that with with him back then, but I was, you know, I don't know, maybe 13 or 14 years old at the time. So then about five years later, I played for you in a master class at the University of South Carolina when I was an undergraduate there, and and it was really inspiring and fantastic, and you gave a great concert in in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, so 
Welcome, and, and, and I'm so happy and honored to have you here. So tell us a little bit about this recording you got coming up. So uh, this is a recording of uh, original compositions, and the thing that's a little unusual about it is it spans 40 years of work. Um, the, there are three new pieces that were uh, written and recorded in the last year, uh, and they have some relevance to the pandemic because it, you know there's some angst in there that, sure. that, that kind of uh, reveals that. But in addition to that, for many years, I had uh, a home studio because I was producing, writing and producing music for five different soap operas. Oh, my gosh. And so uh, I had access to, to record any time I wanted. And every now and then I would pick up the guitar and I'd, I'd be into something. I'd say, hey, you know, this, I like this. And, I, and it got recorded and just kept in my uh, files, you know, and huh. never released. And I realized now that... I uh, would like this to. Uh, I would like these pieces to meet the, the world, as it were. So I had songs that I had recorded with my wife that I had written. I had some guitar pieces where, at that time, I had a multi-track. Um, I didn't do any editing, but I had a multi-track tape recorder. So I would improvise until such time as I said, "Ah, oh, no, that's enough." Then I would wipe the whatever I didn't like of the track and then go in on another track and improvise some more. And, you know, I, I, I got some nice stuff out of it that way. So there are a few pieces like that. And the but one thing that was very important to me was that I had written a, an extended composition when I was about 30 called Trilogy. Yeah. And it was something it was a piece that put me on the map with with a lot of musicians because it was uh, first of all, it was an extended composition. It was extremely difficult and it incorporated a lot of jazz, idiomatic jazz um, phrases and rhythms and harmonies. And it was done in such a way that it really reflected, when I was a teenager, I was completely split about which way to go in music because I was already, you know, fairly well along in the classical guitar world. Okay. But my best friend was a great jazz pianist. His name was Andy Laverne. And, and Andy was studying with Bill Evans. Oh so gosh. I went and took some lessons with Jim Hall so we could do our wow. Bill Evans, Jim Hall kind of thing. And I really uh, wanted to be a jazz guitarist, but here's the thing. I realized that jazz guitar involved, or the world of jazz involved just a, just as much of a deeper immersement, immerse, being immersed, <laughs> immersement, <Yeah. laughs> the wrong word. Uh, it, it, and I was so far along in classical guitar, and I didn't feel that I could do both things equally well. Sure. And I'm not saying it's impossible. I actually haven't seen anyone do them equally well. I've seen people who are very proficient in both. But I mean, when I say equally well, I mean it's an art form. I'm not talking right. about being proficient. I'm talking right. about going all the way in, you know. And so I decided to um, go the classical guitar route. However, all of that music that I had listened to in my teenage years of Bill Evans and Chick Corea and, and Gary Burton and Miles Davis and John Coltrane, it was in me. You know, and it had to find a way to express itself. And, you know, one of the things I'm always asked about the year that I spent in England with, with Julian Bream, because that was an incredible experience having a whole year to study with him privately. And, and I used to always answer that in a very predictable way. Oh, yeah, it was great. I mean, how could it not? How could it not be great? This guy was my god, my hero. You know, how do you think it was? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was all right. You know, it was OK. It was OK. You know? London's a nice but, place. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was cool. It was, it was cool. But I rarely said what was actually going on. 
because I wasn't sure enough to, to speak about it. And here's what was really going I mean, all of that was true. It was great. And we did, you know, what he showed me was fantastic. And uh, you were with one of the, maybe the greatest musician to ever play the guitar. Yeah. No, no, I can't, I can't you know? even imagine. I can't even imagine. Yeah. So it was mind blowing. But, but what was stirring up inside me were a couple of very strong impulses. One is I needed to express my own creativity. I wasn't sure how. But I didn't feel that the classical guitar repertoire was the way for me to go. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but that I needed to improvise, I needed to compose. And, and so I said, how am I going to, and, and, and what do I have to say as a musician? Because there's one thing that I knew for sure from sitting next to this guy is that I'm not going to out Julian Bream, Julian Bream. <laughs> we don't need Julian Bream light. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> so so I it was a real it, it was kind of like a, an epiphanal moment of like, well, what yeah. am I going to do with this? You know, and, and it how, doesn't mean that I want to abandon. Time? What's that? How old were you at the time? When that I was 24. Yeah, I was 24. And it didn't mean that I wanted to abandon classical guitar, but sure. I, how do I incorporate all of this? Right. Yeah. And so the first thing that I did when I got back from from England was I made a recording, which one half was all jazz and one half was uh -huh. classical. And I took it to a record producer and he said, well, this is, this is nice, but we don't know what bin to put this in. So <laughs> you, if you I could you find a way. A compliment. <laughs> <laughs> now I do. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was being very practical. He sure, said, it's, you're, you're kind of split. And if you could find a way to make this, in, incorporate this, you might have something. And, and at the time, I wasn't at all interested in that. It just sounded like jive to me, you know, uh, you know mix these two. <laughs> but what happened was I was also working uh, quite a bit uh, in the early music field, playing the okay. lute, yeah. and not playing solo lute, but playing in, in these consorts where I would get these parts which were not parts. It was just a bass line, and right. they'd say, just, yeah, just play over it. And right. it occurred to me that this was uh, identical in concept, not in sure. musical language, to, to a jazz musician, like a, a pianist who would be comping and then right. take a solo over the changes. And so I developed the skill of doing this, and I enjoyed it greatly. I was interacting with other musicians, you know, and improvising. And I loved the, the, the older the music was, the more medieval, the more like it was, um, you know, modal. And, sure. and, and you could use... McCoy Tyner kind of changes, oh not gosh. that I did with them, but that's that's what I was hearing, you know. Yeah. And so eventually, I said, I, I want to do this, but I want to put my own stamp on it because I, I want to write in the jazz. And I created a group called Jazz Tequa. Okay. And we and we had a, a, a terrific run. We we played at big college uh, tours and and recorded for RCA and easily I could have continued doing that. That could have yeah. been my career. You know, what was the instrumentation uh, for that group? So the instrumentation initially it was a small group and it kept expanding. Initially it was I was playing guitar, lute, viola. There was double bass. There was a percussionist who took up half the stage with a wide uh, array of every percussion instrument you can imagine. The keyboard player played acoustic piano. And at that time, uh, we actually bought a virginal, <laughs> a, oh a renaissance, like a renaissance harpsichord. <laughs> Eventually, that was replaced by a synthesizer that had a virginal sound. You know, it had a million sounds. Easier to travel with. Yes, much easier <laughs> to travel with. That was a big practical thing at that time. Yeah. It really was. Then we had a flutist who also played recorders and okay. every kind of wind instrument. And and a saxophone. It's a very famous saxophone. Oh, Gene wow. Ira Bloom, who's okay. wonderful. 
And then I, I uh, as time went on, I added um, a cello to it, and I, you oh, know, fun. depending on who was available for a New sure. York concert. But that was the the core group, and um, so it had it had all the elements, and it was so thrilling to be playing a vihuela, let's say, right, and hearing thing. all the sound around you. And depending on the luck of the uh, draw in terms of sound men, because we toured, you know, oftentimes the sound guy was a rock and roller, and he right, just what is this thing? he just wanted the bass <laughs> and the and the very high hat, you know. Just, uh, but when we got a good sound man, it, it was heaven. It was oh, just heaven gosh. to hear everything so big and beautiful yeah. and you didn't have to force it playing the loop yeah. because you know so that that was wonderful and that actually was uh what this record producer was talking about yeah you know years before but it happened huh. in an or in an organic way sure, sure you sure. know uh so that was that was really a, a gave me gave me a certain direction as to yeah. what i could do and that led uh to some commercial possibilities in New York City, okay. you know, writing for TV and, and doing jingles and stuff like that. So I've, I've had a kind of unusual career for a, quote, classical guitarist. Right. <laughs> As you know, it, it, uh, you're a good example of that, too, that one can spread out if they have certain inclinations. And sure. it's quite, quite thrilling, really. Yeah. You know, the last 34 years, I've been the guitarist uh, for the Metropolitan Opera. Right, yeah, yeah. And, you know, mostly what a guitarist at the opera does is sit and count measures <laughs> and wait for the four measures you have well, to play. I'm trying to think, I, 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 what, what, what operas are there guitar parts in? <laughs> so the, so the, my, my favorite one is, is Barbara Seville because there's okay, actually course, a solo. Yeah. There's two, right, right, right. two arias and one of them is a solo. Yeah. And I, I add as much as I can to that. You know, oh, I play it up in octaves, I add yeah. ornaments and so like that. Um, Falstaff has a 40-second oh, guitar part, right. but yeah, it's completely uh -huh. solo. And so the chorus and the orchestra, everything stops, and it's just you. <laughs> so it's 40 seconds, but yeah. it's, it's you're on, you know. In the, in the middle uh, of the big Verity opera, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the last thing I did... And here's the yeah, guitar. <laughs> the, right, exactly, exactly. The last thing I did, which was quite challenging, it was a stage production of Vutzek. And oh wow! The, the stage band was featured, and uh, we were in costume, and we actually had an acting coach because we had to act and freeze, wow. and it was it was incredible. That was right before the pandemic, uh, and uh, so so Vutzek was done, you know, frequently. It's part of their repertoire. Now there, are, I would say there were at least nine other operas. I didn't okay. always play the guitar because what would happen was uh, they would say. Fred, we have we're doing this part, uh, this uh, opera called The Notes, um, and it has a, a, a part for a domra. It actually has four oh domras. Do you play the domra? And I, I, at this point in my life, I knew what to say. I said, Yes, of course, I play the domra. <laughs> Uh, I just have one question. Uh, what what is a domra? <laughs> so so I I played domra and I played the Turkish saz. Oh my uh, gosh! Yeah, and I played because the thing was you say yes. Yes. You know, and then you, you take down the dates. You take down the dates, and then you learn. You figure it out real quick. You know? <laughs> so so some of the operas involved other instruments. I played mandolin. I didn't know how to play mandolin, but I it, it was uh, not so hard to learn because. I had a little experience playing with a pick, not much. Sure. But the thing with the mandolin parts is you had to play a great tremolo, yeah, really loud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you could do that, and that was the one thing I could do. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if I had to do something else, it wouldn't have. 
So I, I'd say there were, and then there were the occasional new opera where they did it once and that was gone. And, sure, uh, sure. Like uh, Ghosts of Versailles was written by a great oh, right. American, yeah, yeah. John uh, Carigliano, and that yeah. was done a few times. That was very, that was wonderful. It had a great guitar part in it, including improvisation, but it was a different kind of oh, improvisation. Cool. It would be like spatial improvisation where they would, you know, here's a measure here and a measure here, and it would say like two minutes, and then they give you a, a few different pitches, and they said just play on yeah. those pitches, you know, huh. and it, that was wonderful. I love that. That sounds like great, great fun, actually. So, <laughs> so between between the Verdi operas and and Puccini, not Puccini. Um, uh, I'm blanking on names now. They all end in I because they're all Italian. <laughs> but um, Donizetti, Donizetti, Don Pasquale, you know, uh, there are about maybe twelve operas uh, that had that. Ha would come around and around in their repertoire. Sure. So there would usually always be something for me to play. I remember one season I was in six operas and wow. I was literally working every night at the opera. It was amazing. Oh, that's, um, yeah. But what I was going to say initially was that a lot of what you do is sit and listen to yeah. the orchestra sure. and think about the greatest gig you could ever have. Yeah. You're sitting, listening to the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, yeah, playing the most the beautiful orchestra, yeah. <laughs> inside the orchestra. Listen, it's you oh, know I've been, I've truly been blessed. I've truly been blessed. I you know in Mahler's Mahler's Seventh Symphony, there's a guitar yeah. mandolin part in the fourth movement. Right, right. And we did the Met Orchestra also has a concert series where they're featured in, in Carnegie Hall, and I and I played that concert, and I had to sit there. It was nerve wracking because you know you have to sit there for an hour before you get to play. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to fall asleep. <laughs> well, there was no chance of that because right, of course, what happened smaller. was the, the conductor moved the mandolinist and the guitarist from the back where we were always set up because we're always extra instruments. Yeah. So put them in the back. He moves to the front, the very front of the stage. Uh, and so now I was hearing the orchestra in Carnegie oh Hall in back of me. And I would hear these tremendous swells of yeah. energy. And it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. It really was. It's just yeah. amazing. So I, I'm, I feel very blessed to have had that gig and, and those kinds of experiences, uh, which continue, you know. Sure, sure. And so and I think one of the things about, about the, the recording that, that I found really interesting is, is that you, you know, you're including pieces that, that you recorded just recently and wrote just recently and all the way back to, I think you said 40 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's right. And I thought that's, that's, that's kind of an unusual undertaking, and, but at the same time, really, really cool, you know, to see the, the evolution and, and, you know, the retrospective on your career is, is, is very interesting. Well, well, I'm glad you feel that way. I mean, I, I felt, you know, as, as the technology um, evolves, that it, it's a shame that some recordings uh, that were important in their time are gone. Sure. And right. unless they've been uh, digitally remastered, which a lot have, but a lot haven't. Yeah. A lot haven't. And, and so I thought, well, if anything, if anything of mine that I'd like to see come back would be Trilogy. Since then, a number of other guitarists have recorded it, but I thought there should be a recording of me doing it, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, and then there's also another piece that I wrote at that time, which very much is reflective of this jazz influence, and it's called Late One Night. Oh, yeah. And it was, it was done at the same session. And uh, so that's on the album, too. And then there's a piece for steel string guitar that I just couldn't resist putting on. I just like it. <laughs> is that an older piece or is that new? I'm sorry, it's, is it, it is old, an older piece. Old piece yeah. It's a piece that I did, again, improvised uh, when I had my home studio. And when, 
when I in my home studio, I usually had the window open and you could hear cicadas outside, right? Oh, love it. So, so here's the steel string, and I was I didn't know that I would be putting this on an album. So I have this very very contemplative piece on steel string guitar, which you know what I love about the steel string guitar is the sustain lasts forever. Oh, yeah. It's it's so so everything's ringing and it's beautiful, and you hear the cicadas outside. But now we're we're in the studio listening to this, and my engineer friend says, "Oh, the cicadas are cool. Kind of leave them in there." And I'm thinking, not cool. Take these cicadas out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, you know, there are these programs that you can run things through which can yeah. remove certain... Fr- so it, it it took it out. So I thought, anyway. And um, now the album's out, and, and I'm listening to it with my headphones, and I hear somehow <laughs> the cicadas, there were two spots where they managed to stay in there. And it drives oh me crazy. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. I, I love that kind of stuff, you know, because it... it it, it speaks to that we, you know, as artificial a, a, a process as recording can, can be, you know, when you hear something that you think, oh, yeah, this is a real live person in a real live environment yeah. making music, and, and that's better. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. I just thought that for a lot of people, they wouldn't, they, they would just say, what the, what's that noise I'm hearing? <laughs> right, of course, yeah. Yeah, if they could identify it clearly or not. Yeah. Yes. Yes. If they knew the whole story, I would be fine with it, but not knowing that. <laughs> so as a composer, like, how, how did you, is that just something, an interest... That you had and, and developed yourself, or did you did you get any training that way, or? Uh, yeah, yes to both those questions. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the I I recently going through my vast number of pa- uh, pages of uh, uh, p- pieces of paper which I should throw out because they're just <laughs> from my from my teenage years onward, and I found this interview that I did with my high school newspaper, and it said that I, I wanted to do two things. I was shocked to see this. I didn't know that I read this. So I, was, I was 17 at the time. And I, wow. I said, I wanted to compose music for the guitar, contribute to the literature of the classical guitar. Amazing. Uh, and, and the other thing I said was, I wanted to do stuff for TV and film because that's where the bread is. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, listen to this kid, you know? And I wound up doing just that. Right, and amazing. I, 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 yeah. Now, when I was in high school, I, I went to a very special high school in New York City uh, called the High School of Music and Art, and it no longer exists in that form. Uh, but it was it was a great school, and I and I had composition there, uh, okay. and it really made uh, quite an influence on me. What happened then when I went to college, though, at that time, and this is in the in the late sixties, you were not taken seriously as a composer unless you wrote in the most avant-garde style. When I say avant-garde, I'm not talking about, let's not even use tones anymore. Let's throw some stuff. Let's get some pots and pans and, uh, you know. And I just, I just, it wasn't me, you know. And, And one of the criteria, which is kind of interesting at the time, was it had to be, whatever you did, it had to be new. It had to be novel. If it wasn't new, it, it wasn't a value. Which is an interesting thing when you think about it, because sure. um, I'm all for novelty, you know, but novelty, just novelty. <laughs> right, sure, sure, sure. So, I mean, what if I played the box cone standing on my head? It would be great. I mean, that would be great no matter how you play the box cone. Would it really add that much, especially on a recording? You know? <laughs> so, so, I, so I didn't study composition in college. Uh, and I, but I did write, but not that much. And then after college, I sought out a few different composition teachers. Okay. 
and and took private lessons and uh and and just always pursued it because it was something that was just in me that needed to yeah. you know it's just like being a musician m- music picks you you don't pick it yeah. really if yeah. you're really going to do it it's sure. It's not really a choice because it's not a, it certainly isn't a, a rational decision. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a compulsion of sorts, you know, it's like you can't, it you is. can't not do it. Yeah. That's exactly right. Beautifully said. It, it is a compulsion. And if you're fortunate, uh, you can, you, you go through life and are able to do it. And people find all different ways uh, to make that happen because we, we do need to exist in the world and make money and, and right. pay the bills and all that. And but if you're fortunate, you find a way for the the art to manifest itself, and that's where the fulfillment comes in. So uh, I, I feel very blessed in, in doing that. So so I always composed, and then I found that by just and this was after the year with Julian Bream by just writing and allowing, not trying to be a classical composer, not trying to work in subscribe like sonata or allegro form or just allow it to come out, yeah. you know, without editing it in such a way, I found my own voice. But it took time. It took sure. it until I felt secure enough to do that. And uh, I have to say, the uh, falling into the commercial world of music was, was great, not just to make money, but also they said, yeah, just do your thing. Do what right. you do. Interesting, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which was so different, you know, than the sure. classical world. Yeah. Huh. And, and do you think there's something about doing the commercial work, too? The folks that I know that do that, it, it, it's it's very craftsman-like. It's very, it's very utilitarian. It's like they know, hey, I've got four minutes. For me, it was three minutes. They always you, said three minutes. Give three us three minutes. Three minutes. Right. <laughs> And they, they might say they want it upbeat or sad or this kind of thing. And so That's the right. way that they write is it's very practical, you know, yes. and, and, and the people that they're Absolutely. writing for are not, you know, they're, they're not getting in there and, and really analyzing it. And, you know, they just want it to fill, fulfill that purpose. And, and folks that I know with who have done that. You know, they get really good at generating material because that's what they do. They, they you know, they're, they're, they're not, they're not inhibiting themselves. They're not overthinking anything. They just sit down and write and it's like, okay, you want two minutes of this? No problem. There it is. Thank you. Next. You know, and I think there's, there's something to be said for that. You know, and I think of one of, one of my composition professors when I was in college used to talk about how, you know, Stravinsky would practice, you know, he would, he, he'd sit down and, and write 30 minutes a day. It's like, it's like yeah. practicing, you know? Yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, you, you said it perfectly. Uh, it's there's a utilitarian aspect to it, yeah. and the thing is that, see, I'm, my process when I write music, uh, uh, my own compositions, it's a, it's a slow process, almost I would say torturous in this regard. <laughs> I have to I have to go through every door to find out what if I went here, what if I did this, yeah. what if I do. So it's not it's not quick, but at the end, it's like. Oh yeah, I've gone through all those doors. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go this way, and so I have to do that. Now, when I was doing the commercial music, no, never like that. And I'll give you a great. This is a. I love this story because it not only has to do with writing. I had to write uh, well an hour's worth of music in a in a, like a day or a day and a half. Oh okay? my gosh. Yeah, and that wasn't even the hard part. The hard part was, and it shows you something about this was going to be done during a for as the world turns, and it was going to be. Uh, a wedding, uh, you know, shot all day long. Okay, now the party part of it, they, um, at, we were going to do it live on the set, and we were there on oh, the wow. set. But they okay. called me the night, well, the day before, and they said, you know, I, 
it's going to be too difficult to get the sound uh, of the musicians with everybody talking and the whole scene. It's going to be chaotic. We'd rather have the sound pre-recorded and then we'll just lay it in. But you'll be there playing, right. but you know we're going to be using the track. So the, the video shoot starts at 8 in the morning. So we want you guys there at 7. Now, first of all, I want you to understand that I have to call the guys that I were calling, although the studio musicians, most of them are jazz players. A lot of them have jazz gigs, right? Yeah. And so a, a jazz gig might end at two in the morning. So the first thing um, I have trepidation about is calling a professional musician and saying you have to you have to be in CBS studios at seven in the morning. Right, okay? yeah. I don't but know many musicians said, that want to play at 7 a.m. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But then I, I said, well, how much time... You want an hour? We have an hour's worth of music to record. How much time are we going to have to record? They said an hour. An hour. <laughs> so, so, so I had the good sense not to say, "You're kidding," <laughs> or seriously. <laughs> so I had to write this so that it would just be turn the page, play, turn the page, play, oh and gosh. obviously nothing too complicated. Right. And they didn't see anything absurd about that request, so uh, oh I just, gosh. you know, and we did it, and we did that. <laughs> but wow. but in terms of utilitarian, yeah, it yeah. just has to, it has to fit the purpose yeah. of 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 what's going to happen on on film or TV, whatever it is, and that's a very different thing. And it is a skill set that you sure. you know you can uh, uh, over time cultivate. Yeah. Do you, do you find that 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 informs your process more now, like as as you're writing. For no, yourself. it has nothing no. to do with it. It's oh, exactly really? opposite. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's not that I I don't like the things I did uh, commercially, <laughs> but it's not. It's a different category, you know. Interesting. Yeah. It's like if I wanted to. Well, maybe this is now. If I wanted to publish a book of my deepest thoughts, right? It wouldn't be. I wouldn't publish a conversation. Right. <laughs> I would actually give it. I would actually give it some thought. <laughs> yeah, we don't do that here. Yeah. <laughs> no offense. No, no offense. None taken. None at all. No, I understand exactly what you're saying. Amazing. Very cool. And do you still do any of that work? No. No. There. I did it for 15 years. It was okay. fabulous. I, I enjoyed it all. There was a certain time, what happened was um, cable television started to encroach more and more on network TV's um, income revenue stream. And so the budgets were being squeezed tighter and tighter. And there was a certain point, you could still do the work, you know, but the terms were drastically different. And also, uh, it was much more volatile, where I worked for two different producers, uh, two different networks for 12 years. Uh, all of a sudden... Every time a new executive producer came in, every three months, they bring in a whole crew of their own right. music producers. Oh and I had to go introduce myself. Hello, I've been working for your show for 15 years. My name is... <laughs> and, wow. and, it, and at a certain point, it was no longer... You know, I fell into it quite accidentally. By the way, it was kind of interesting how I fell into it. Uh, as the World Turns needed... Um, they were shooting some segments in Spain, and they needed oh, Spanish... Wow. Spanish classical guitar music. Sure. So they called me in to they had a three-hour recording session of Spanish classical guitar music. Now the problem was, of course I said yes, I'd be delighted to. The problem was I only knew about 20, 30 minutes of Spanish guitar music. 
but uh, I did. I was able to improvise in in the Spanish style, yeah. and that turned out to be much more useful to them than oh, composed pieces. You know, because yeah. they would say, "Give us three minutes of this kind of energy or that uh. kind of energy, whatever." And from that, I, I actually, I saw this was like an incredible gig. Can I do something yeah. else, you know? And, and that's how that happened, you know. Oh, that's it, cool. it really did come from the guitar. Yeah. And, and did, you, did you use guitar in most of the, the music that you were writing for, for that? I used the guitar in a great deal of it. But yeah. at a certain point, I realized I might not be the right guitarist. For instance, they had a scene, they had a, a series of scenes in a, like a teenage summer beach club. <laughs> Okay. They wanted, surf, they wanted surfer music, right? Right. And so I have a, I have a friend who's a great rock and roll guitarist. <laughs> he, we we did you know we created the music together, but he played all of it, and uh, it was a hoot. But so I would hire I would hire people for different things, and it didn't all have guitar in it. A lot of it had, you know, what happened was at first we started doing music with a small orchestra or you know ten pieces something like that, and very quickly synthesizers took over, sure. and that's. That's, in a certain sense, not great because it was much more enjoyable writing for real instruments, but it enabled people like me to create their own home studio and, and work from home. So that was going to happen anyway, you know, in right. terms of the synthesizer. It, the, and the budget shrunk as a result of, they knew that you could get strings a string sound from a synth. Sure. They don't want to pay for an orchestra. Um, but I would bring in synth players and uh, some occasional woodwind players, and uh, it was it was a very happy time doing that. It was fun, you know. We had yeah. fun. We like like now we're laughing, you know. Was, <laughs> so we had fun and we made money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know about one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been in New York your whole life, then, huh? Well, I I, I grew up in Brooklyn. Okay. I moved to Manhattan when I went to college and lived in Manhattan uh, into my 30s. But I had, I would say, in my mid-20s, literally a primal calling to be in the country. Yeah. It, I didn't even understand it because what did I know from the country? But when I would go up to the country, <laughs> it was so quiet, you know, and yeah. it was so beautiful. And it doesn't mean I didn't love the city. I, I do love the city. Uh but I couldn't do anything about it in my mid-20s. But by the time I was in my mid-30s, I was working for the soaps. And I said, right. I, could, I could do this, you know. And so I moved to Woodstock, New York, oh, where I have wow. a, some, some family and knew some okay. people. And at first, it was very much like a lot of people up here. It was a weekend home. Right. And when I had the studio, it was like, well, I can stay a few days longer than the weekend. And, you know. Get some work done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah get some work done. And eventually, it, when I got when I uh, got married, it was my wife was like, you know, I don't like living in two places here. What's, you know, and she wanted to live in New York City. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she had to choose, but we we so we've lived here full time since 1998, and it is okay. it's a beautiful place to live. And I, by the way, during that time until the pandemic, I was going into New York City at least once a week to teach at Manus, uh, and then uh, which then became the New School. And uh, when the opera was on, I'd be in three times a week. So it wasn't like I was missing the interaction with New York. Right, 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 right. So, so you're living in Woodstock now? Yes. Okay, yes. yeah. Okay. Wow. And, yeah, it's... it's I mean, Ben was, was saying that, that uh, you know, you're you're often in the city. So yeah. it, you, you're still still going back and forth quite a bit. So, yeah. Wow. Very, very cool. Um, and you, you were teaching at SUNY Purchase? 
When yes, you, uh, actually, you no. Know, that that was uh, through Ben. Ben, we should okay. mention Ben is Ben Verdery, Benjamin yeah. Verdery, right? <laughs> um, and uh, Ben had the position at Yale, but he was a graduate of SUNY Purchase, where I taught him when I was right. in my twenties. He was a kid, okay. you know. And Ben uh, took over the job at SUNY Purchase for a year, and then realized he just couldn't do both jobs. Right. Um, and uh, I had just taken a sabbatical from teaching i went to utah for a year and studied with a zen master so i came oh, i came wow. back i had i had no students <laughs> so i said oh well i'll do it you know so i taught i taught at suny purchases this is my second stint there now okay. um for about 11 years and at the time i was also teaching uh well i i always taught at Manus. I did take a year off, but Manus was my always, that's my alma mater, and that's where I, my main teaching work was. But I had this um, dream, okay, of teaching in a place, in addition to these other places, that wasn't a music conservatory, because I okay. wanted to teach composition and arranging, and, uh, you know, and I, and I had this idea that it would be in a beautiful campus in New England somewhere yeah. that was just gorgeous to drive to, and uh, and it would be a position in acoustic guitar, oh, you know, okay. acoustic guitar, which yeah. there was no such thing. Right. I was just out of my imagination. Yeah, yeah. And then two two weeks later, I got a uh, a letter from Bennington College saying we have a position open in acoustic guitar. Would you like to oh, join gosh. the faculty? And I, and I did that, and it was just it was exactly that. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> from, from Woodstock, it was only uh, less than two hours to drive okay. there. It was beautiful. I taught every kind of music that you can yeah. imagine. So, and and did, did you create a like a degree program where somebody played all different styles of, of acoustic so, guitar? So the things? way it was, yeah, the way it is, Bennington. Bennington's one of those schools where the students get to create their own curriculum. Okay. So there was already they were already there in a degree program. Right. And then it's up to them if they wanted to do music or if they wanted to do. Uh, it was it wasn't the traditional major and minor kind of thing. Yeah. Con okay. They called it a concentration in this sure. or the other. Yeah. Huh. So uh, it was all set up. I didn't have to uh, create a program. Right. You just got to go teach and probably do a lot of different things with the students. That's 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 interesting. That's really great. One one of the places that I I was teaching here, it was the jazz guitar teacher and I were were. Pretty, pretty close collaborators and we were trying to really create something like that you know really trying to move it in that direction because you know the, the kids coming out of the high school out of high school you know they're, they're not they're not playing jazz music they're not playing classical music and, and you know if they're interested in that and they want to learn about that and explore that that's great but to, to have to shove them into that box and say this is this is what you have to study right. you know we, we, we kind of wanted to move things in that direction and, and, and one of the other schools that I was teaching you know that was that was kind of when I was I was the only teacher there. That was one of the things that I I tried to get across to the, the students is you know like what you were saying. If somebody calls for the gig and says, "Can you?" you want to say yes. You know, and then <laughs> that doesn't mean you have to be like you know the best at this or that. But you know you should at least have some idea of what that what that entails. Sure. And sure. you know if you have time to practice it, get get proficient at it in the meantime. Sure. So you know, that's that's kind of the way that I I wanted to envision that that program as well. So. You know, I have a, 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 a certain perspective on all of this now about that, because um, there are people 
that are perfectly suited. My one of my closest friends, his name is Kevin Kuhn, and he's sort of Mr. Broadway guitarist. He's done. Okay. He did the Lion King for 15 years till he couldn't do it any. I mean, when I say he couldn't do it anymore, he said, "Let me out of here." <laughs> right. <laughs> so then they put. So then they put him in Aladdin, and he did that forever. But he's done everything, and he's sure. done everything you can possibly imagine. And Kevin is a guy who plays every instrument. You know, a zillion instruments: bass, mandolin, banjo, guitar. You know, you name it. Anything with strings on it, he can do. And that's his thing. And you can, when I, I would hire Kevin for, no matter what I would hire him for, he was money in the bank. He knew how to follow a conductor. Yep. It was a total pro, okay? It, that's not for everybody. Sure. It just isn't, you know? And so I, I feel that every musician should get a, a cert, an introduction to all of these different skill sets. And, you know, because you never know what's going to happen once you get out of school, what opportunities, what, you know, right. but it's not for everybody. And I also felt that it was important not to say, if you really just love classical guitar and just want to play the traditional repertoire, there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. If, that's, yeah. if that's what lights you up, that's great. You don't have to do all these other things. Um, so you have to, because in the end, I think the fuel that we run on is the fuel of uh, the passion for the work. And if you're not passionate about something, uh, there's really no point in doing this. As, as we said, it's not a rational decision. So... <laughs> You gotta feel. You gotta feel. This is sure. this is something I, I have to do. You know. And and you you were introduced to classical guitar at a fairly young age then. From what, from what six uh, years old. Uh, okay. My mother, my mother took me to a Segovia concert in Town Hall in New York City, and I told when her when you were six. Con- when I was six, and I told her. Oh my gosh. I said that's what I'm gonna do, to which she replied, Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> 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 and I was I was not kidding. And I kept asking to to get a guitar, and uh, at nine, because we would go every year to hear him, and at nine she she agreed, and I started to take guitar lessons, and uh, but I never looked back from that except when I was thirteen, I had a new passion, and I mean it was just as passionate as guitar. Uh, I wanted to be a basketball player. Oh my gosh! And I should point out that it, I'm only about five foot five now, but at yeah, that I, time I, I was. I didn't, I didn't want to put that out there, but I was. Yeah. I, you know, I, I remember. Yeah. I, I remember standing next to you, and, and uh, I'm about the same height. So. Well, and, yeah. Well, at that time, though, at 13, I was probably five foot, or. or not even that. But that didn't stop my my fervor, and I joined. I remember I joined a boys' club of America league. We had uniforms, yeah. and we had names like the Celtics and the Knicks. Yeah, and, you know, sure. And I did that <laughs> for two years, and for two years I stopped studying guitar. Oh wow! And, and just played basketball, and uh, huh. I was quite serious. And then I went at 15 years old. I went to uh, Madison Square Garden to see a, a New York Knickerbocker game, and I noticed even then that the shortest guy was six foot two. And there was one other little thing which I should mention, which was, I wasn't that good. <laughs> you, know, I mean, you know, I was okay on the playground, you know, I could, I could play, but, but now we're talking the elites. And, and it hit me, you know, you're not gonna be a basketball player. So I went back to the guitar and I studied with a protege of Segovia. His name was Albert Valdez Blaine. He was one of oh, yeah. in New York City at that time. There were about sure. two or three teachers who were the guys, and he was studied with him too. 
Uh, yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot of people studied with him because if you were of a certain age in New York at that time, you either studied with him or Julio Prohl. Or, you know, there weren't that many possibilities. Interesting. Okay. And and and, and Albert uh, Blaine was a uh, taskmaster. He, it was like rough, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> what the hell are you doing with the guitar there? <laughs> but he really set set me up uh, from a technical point of view in the sense of rest stroke, free stroke, hand positions, all of that, sure. tone production. He had, when I go in for a lesson, he had like six guitars out. Three of them were Hauser guitars. Gosh, wow. <laughs> and then three of the finest Velasquez guitars you could ever oh. see. And he said, yeah, play whatever you like. So, uh, yeah, so that was my, uh, my evolution. But aside from this, uh, that basketball uh, sabbatical, it was all guitar, yeah. <laughs> Well, thankfully, you were, you were not taller. <laughs> or better, or yeah. better. <laughs> yeah, the, the basketball's basketball world's losses are, are yeah, they don't They don't there, seem so. to be hurting too much without yeah, they, They're not calling you? They're like, no, oh, please, have not please, Fred. <laughs> not, not even a postcard. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Do you still play basketball at all? You know, uh, no, the short answer is no, but I did, I had my cousin who lives, by the way, right across the street has a basketball court there. there and go. every now and then I pick up the basketball and I was amazed after all this time, you know, I had nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I was throwing up, I was throwing up bricks. Oh my gosh. You know, I mean, really, it was all gone. <laughs> I, I heard something recently that, uh. I don't know the exact statistic, but uh, the, the, um, the number one cause of, of accidents and injuries in middle-aged men is, is trying to play basketball. <laughs> I could believe it. I could believe it. Because, you know, your body remembers the moves. Oh, yeah, you know, but sure. It, yeah, the last time I tried any to play basketball, the... I, my hips let me know about it for days. You know? yeah. I was like, I'm not yeah. doing that anymore. <laughs> right. No, my... my uh, I. My new love—it's only the last several years—is swimming, because oh. you don't. Yeah. If you if you do it right, you don't get injured. Sure. <laughs> it's not. A, it shouldn't be a contact sport. I don't know where you're swimming, but it sh shouldn't be that. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So so you studied you studied with Blaine, and that was in high school. Yeah, and then I went to at that time there were this was in 1965. There were only two okay. schools in America you could study classical guitar. Sure. As a major. One was the Manus College of Music in New York okay. City, and the other was American University in Washington. Okay. And the teacher there was Sophocles Pappas. Right, 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 right. Right. And so I, I studied in New York City. My, my uh, teacher was Leonid Bolotin, who was a great Russian violinist. And he had a passion for the guitar. So he, he was the one that started the program. But he, and he, he learned to play as an amateur guitarist, but he was not... Uh, no knock against him, a master of the guitar. Sure. He was a master of the violin. When I say he was in a class, he was in the class with Heifetz, I meant, I mean literally, he was in the class in Russia with Heifetz, studying with Leopold R. He was, and he was a great, great violinist and came wow. to New York and, and, and did everything. And, and, and that was very useful because he also did a lot of commu uh, commercial work and so when I was getting uh, my junior, senior year in, in college, he would send me out on, on movie dates and jingles oh, wow. and stuff like that because he was all connected, you know, okay. to, to that industry. Yeah. Uh, but what he offered uh, was not so much guitar training sure. uh, as it was music training. Yeah. He was a master musician. 
And so that was really see, coming at it from a completely different angle. That's and really he would tell me to do things, and I would say something like, uh, oh, that's very difficult. And he would say, well, that's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really, you know, I, I, in, in recent, recent times, I, you know, I've spoken with, with Ben, who had mm-hmm. a similar experience of studying with non-guitarists and, and Alice Arts, similar, similar kind of thing. Um, and there was, there was someone else I spoke to recently too. And, and I, I know like generationally part of that was you, you guys didn't have access to, you know, guitar teaching the way that, that we have now. Absolutely. Um, but I think some of, it, some of it was, was on purpose too. You know, like when I talked to Alice, she, you know, her attitude about it was, you know, she wanted to study with musicians that, that she really respected, no matter what instrument they played. You know, she's like, it's I like what healthy. that guy does. I'm going to go study with him. Absolutely. And I thought, you know, that's that's fantastic. And I, you know, it makes me think when I was an undergraduate, the, the cello professor at my university, tremendous musician. I just really loved his playing, everything about it. And, you know, asking him, hey, could I study with you? And he he flat out said no. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's, and I, I, you know, I, I guess I didn't. I don't blame him, but it's it's just interesting that uh, you know the world. That's I guess the world has changed in in that regard. And, and it, it's you know we don't realize that everything that we do is standing on the shoulders of who came before. It, it really is true, and um, I mean you you can just take a look at the level of oh, guitar insane. playing now. It's it's, it's mind boggling. It's yeah. mind boggling. Uh, and taking nothing away from any of them, that would not have been possible with everything that came before. That, because what happened, you got people that then went to college, that then taught in college, and realized, oh, a, a guitarist needs more than just to know how to play the guitar. They might need to know how to come in on the downbeat of a conductor's... <laughs> <laughs> or to play with the string quartet, right. and you know, and or maybe uh, guitar harmony should come into play. They should learn about the fingerboard and 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 figured bass and improvising in the Baroque style and all that. All of that came later, and that's yeah. great. It's beautiful to see that that in a relatively one or two generations, yeah, sure. You have you have uh, the guitar really taking its place now as as a, uh, a a real when I say a real classical instrument, not just as a solo instrument, right? You know, that's right. but can, absolutely. Can, yeah, it's beautiful. And I think I think I think you know you you. you you're partially responsible for that. I would I would say you know. Well, I, I thank you. Uh, every everyone that 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 came of my generation uh, did their part, you know, right. and um, and I think the thing I think for me I would say the important message is you have to pursue what's innate within you, you know that that in, in pursuing music, don't be afraid to even if it hasn't been done before or whatever, the thing that, that, that is swelling up inside of you is the thing that will propel you, you know. And and I know that sometimes what can make people doubt is, well, how, how is this practical? You know, how is this going to... You don't know. You don't know what opportunities are going to anyway, present. Right? <laughs> yeah, do it anyway, right? Yeah, do it anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. uh, and, and I think you, you had mentioned, you know, that was finding that... For you, early in your career, that was that was that was a challenge. There was some, there was, there was some uh, difficulty with that. Do you do you think it's easier nowadays for people to do that kind of thing? Just I because, hate to say that because I yeah. don't think anything's easy in the arts. Okay, it's, it was right. never easy, and I don't think it's easy now. Uh, I don't know how to answer that question to okay. be honest with you, because yeah. I, I just don't know if it's easy. But I think it, it whether it be easier or not easier, it doesn't matter. That's sure. 
that's the ticket, you know, to do that. Um, And from that, it's, I know this sounds very mystical, but doors open up. When you are passionate about something and you just go all out doing it, people see that and they pick up on that and, and opportunities seem to present themselves, but not until you've made that commitment, you know. Right, right. Usually. That's beautiful. That's fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. So, Again, kind of, kind of tracing, tracing your story here, just because it's so interesting. So, um, you you went to to England to study with Bremont, and that was on Fulbright, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. What happened and, was, yeah, I, I should just tell you. Um, so I had already studied with him in Canada in a master. Oh, you had okay. Yes, uh, and we sort of got along. We played ping pong together, and he gave ah. me his phone number. And oh my gosh, you know, I, I would go see him. I would go see him after concerts in Carnegie <laughs> Hall and stuff, and go out to drink and all this uh. kind of thing. And uh, yeah, so so uh, and then and then one time he was playing at the University of Connecticut, and that was my first teaching gig. So I um, I I took him up there from New York City. I drove him up there in a rainstorm. It was a four-hour car trip, so I, oh, I had Julian wow. Bremen in the car for four hours, which was wow. an experience unto itself, you know. And then, but in any case, though, so uh, yeah, so then, so then uh, I, I kept in touch with him, and then I had this idea because now I was graduated from college, right. I was teaching at the University of Connecticut, and literally what came into my mind was, so is this it? <laughs> now, <laughs> what next? This yeah. is, this, we're over here. This is just it now for the next sixty years. <laughs> And I started to think about what I what I really want to do, and what I really want to do is study with him, you know, on a regular basis. Yeah. So I called him, and I I asked him. I, I had applied for the Fulbright, but I hadn't told him about it yet because you know the Fulbright happens in stages, and until sure. they were serious about possibilities. So I called him when I was in the latter stages, like final stages, and I said, Would, "Is this something you'd be willing to do?" And he said. Of course, just like you know, why are you even calling me? You know, <laughs> I thought I thought it was appropriate to call him and ask. Yeah, that. sure, yeah. However, so so that was great, and I thanked him, and blah blah blah. I got the Fulbright, got over there. I had just gotten married. I went over there, my new wife, and I called him up from London, and he said, "Hello, Fred. How are you? What brings what brings you to London?" <laughs> and I said. I said, I'm here to I'm here to study with you. And he said, Well, I don't teach. Oh my gosh. <laughs> now oh can you gosh. imagine? Can you imagine? Now I have to tell you, I had just left I had just left my job at the University of Connecticut. I didn't even take a leave, I just left. Right. right? Yeah. I had given up my apartment in New York. I had told everybody I knew in the guitar world that I was going to study with the great Julian Bream. I had just gotten married, right? Come over to London, and he says, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> and, and you would you would cleared it with him in, in before. I did, oh I did. My gosh. He oh, he just wow. he forgot about it. So Amazing. then when I went to see him, he said, "Well, you know, I'm touring a lot, but I could see I could see you this time and this time." And I said, "Great, great, yeah, whatever, sure. yeah, whatever you could see me, you know." <laughs> so that's how that happened. And how often were you able to, to, to take lessons with him then? Every the every year? three or four weeks. So okay. not that often. But but I will say this. He was incredibly generous with his time. And the lessons yeah. never ended until I said, I don't have anything more to play for you. Right. So the first, I think the second lesson went four hours. The first Amazing. lesson I only had a couple hours. Se- sure. second one went four hours. Yeah. And it really was like that. We would just hang out all day. Um 
he at that time I remember he had just done a, a recording with John Williams, and, and that was a very big thing in the guitar world. Oh yeah, and, oh sure. Know, and uh, he said, "Have you have you heard it?" And I said, "Oh yes." And he said, Can you tell who's playing which part? <laughs> so, oh, that's fantastic! I so love I, it. I said, "I said, I believe I I can, yeah." yeah. And he said, "Are you sure?" <laughs> <laughs> so I thought he was going to give me a test, which I was oh, perfectly prepared to do, but. Oh, that's he was, a, he was a, such a character, you know, in a great way, you know, uh, and a total um, original. There's no yeah. one, no one ever been like him in in yeah. any sense, you know, and a genius, total genius. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I know people that that studied with him from time to time, but I don't know anybody that studied with him regularly like that. You mm. know, I think, I think you, you, you. Well, it was intense. You might be it the was only, very, only it was one. very intense. <laughs> yeah. So, and it was that? Did you? You went to his home for the for the lessons. Yeah, he he lived yeah. in two places. He had a, a townhouse in London, and I would see him there. And he also had a beautiful sort of almost like a little estate in um, Dorset. Okay. Uh, in uh, the village was Semley. It's like these these uh, English addresses are Semley, right? Dorset. Oh no, Shaftesbury. That was right. the town, the bigger town. <laughs> and then in Dorset, Dorset was the county. Right. And he had a, a beautiful uh, setup there, a beautiful house. And then he had a a barn. And in that barn, he had about five or six luthiers. Like uh, Romanilios was working there. He had a harpsichord. Oh maker my gosh! He was like the lord of the uh, estate. Yeah. <laughs> With with his with his estate luthiers, amazing. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Quite I, think, I think I'll go out to the barn and, and see what they're building for me today. <laughs> yeah, and and, and Dorset uh, County is is a magical. You know, it's the south, sort of the southwest of England. Yeah, and and did, so I mentioned that the 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 scholarship provided for you to live there. Um, but did you do any anything else other than study? Well, when you say when you say provided, provided let's use well, the term you know. loosely. <laughs> they, they give you a stipend. They right. give you a stipend. They did set up some concerts in uh, in Europe, and I did I did travel oh. a little bit. I played a little bit in Europe. Oh, uh, I came back to the United States to tour, which I shh, don't tell anybody. This is not going to go out on the air, is it? <laughs> I, I wasn't supposed to do that. I did go. <laughs> Yeah, but no, you weren't allowed to work. Uh, oh, really? In, uh, okay. In England, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's it, what I did. So I had a so lot you, of time on my hands. You yeah, know? just got to got to practice and and, and oh, yes. hang out with Julian Bream. Oh, that sounds yes. sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> and w- during that time, were there other guitarists in in London that that you had contact with? No, because I didn't live in London, and the reason oh, okay. I didn't live in, I didn't live in London. I had just just a few months before, worked uh, at the Lenox Arts Center, which is in Lenox, Massachusetts, and I met two English musicians, Martin Best and Edward Flower, and they okay. were like a, a troubadour company. You know, uh, Martin sang and and played the guitar, and Ed played the guitar and the lute. Beautiful musicians, and when we got to uh, when my wife and I got to England, we decided. We were both had lived in New York our whole lives. Yeah. We wanted a different experience, right? Sure. And little by little, we gravitated to, well, who do we know in England? And these two uh, musicians lived uh, in Stratford, 
Okay. Uh, it's called Stratford on Avon, which, which sure. is the Royal Shakespeare, Shakespeare. Company. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we went to that part of the world, which is, in, it's called uh, the Cotswolds, which is yeah. a beautiful part of England. And it, since I was seeing him only three, uh, seeing Bream every three or four weeks, I could have lived sure. in New York City, frankly. Right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, so, so that, that's where we chose to live. And um, it was great because it was a completely different experience. We lived yeah. on a working farm, actually. Oh, my gosh. Fantastic. Yeah. So I didn't. As a result, I didn't meet the the London guitar scene. Yeah. Um, no. So what what year was that? That, that was in nineteen. Uh, it was from September of nineteen seventy one to uh, okay. August of seventy two. Yeah. Wow. And did you did you find it difficult to come back to the states after after that or? Uh, no, not really, because I didn't have a career in England. So okay. I, I wanted to come back, and I, at that time I was. I had a solo career. I had a manager. I was doing concerts and all that. Plus, there were other New York things I was doing. But I did, you know, it was interesting. I did pick up a little bit of an English accent. And, you know, I'm from <laughs> Brooklyn. Funny when you got I'm, back. I'm from Brooklyn. And so my, my friends uh, kind of like, uh, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> Would you speak English, please? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Great. What else should we talk about? <laughs> well, you, you, you know, I, so I find your career very interesting that you've done, you know, you've done flamenco and you've done Irish music. And I, I by the way, I have no, um, no abilities in flamenco. I'm, I'm very, uh, I, I'm a I very bad that. flamenco player. <laughs> I'm, I'm very bad at it. <laughs> well, that you can do it at all. It's, it's great. Do you, and you do Irish music because Irish is a favorite music of mine. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I fell into that, um, in the late nineties, a friend of mine who was a flutist that I had done classical gigs with had started getting into to Irish music mm -hmm. and was going to like traditional sessions and things like this. And she had this wacky idea to start an Irish band, and she said, I want you to play guitar. And I said, well, okay, well, I don't know anything about that music. Um, I don't have a steel string guitar. I think I'm the wrong guy. And she, she <laughs> insisted and insisted and insisted. And I said, okay. And it was kind of funny because at the time, I was actively looking for something else to get interested in. Um, mm -hmm. And one of them was to play with a, a flamenco company. I hadn't done flamenco before, and I was interested in it. And I had been talking to to a, a woman who ran a, a dance company here in town, and I was supposed to get together with them and, and get that started. Um, I, ha I had designs to start a tango band at some point in time, but I didn't. I couldn't find musicians that, that knew anything about the music, so that was troubling. Um, and it was just like this this window of opportunity when I happened to be available, and I said, "Okay, why not?" You know, and then it, it just kind of took took over my life and and that band was together for about 15 years we did five cds and toured all over the united states and playing festivals How wonderful. all over the place and it was great yeah it's fantastic yeah. and um, the music and was I, such fun you know it is such... it is a blast it is absolutely totally. a and then you get and, you get these been... incredibly soulful ballads uh, yeah. that are killer they, and, they are, and perfect the irish are very expressive people <laughs> they sure are, they sure are. Yep. and it's it's been great and i've been really fortunate to work with some some fantastic musicians um doing that and again like you said you know like you, you don't know what trajectory things will take you know you just mm -hmm. uh, i think i'll do this i had no idea what what, what would come of that and, and i'm so glad that i that i did that and then and then the flamenco thing is fairly recent for me um and Again, it was a it was, it, it was through a dance company 
you know, they needed mm -hmm. a guitarist, and, and I, I, it, I always had an interest in it, but I never had yeah. any opportunity to pursue that, really. And you, the flamenco is not something you can learn from books. You know, you can't, you can't mm -hmm. do that. And it, it's, right. you have to be immersed in something. Um, sure. And so, you know, the, this dancer had me come play for her classes and pretty soon started asking me to play shows and things like this. And, and some, of the, some of the gigs I've done with that company have just been just the best gigs I've ever played in my life. And the funny thing is, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not really a flamenco guitarist. She gives me recordings to learn the material and I learn it. And through mm -hmm. that, I learn about the, the different forms and the dances and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, you know, I, I'm so far away from being like a typical traditional flamenco guitarist, which I, I think is kind of cool in a way too, because it makes me really focus on accompanying the dance and sure. accompanying the song, you know, which is, yep. you know, really, really integral to the style, I think. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. So, and, you know, in terms of like this idea of doing all sorts of different things, you know, I think it's, it's a, for me personally, it's this combination, perfect combination of being easily bored and also like wanting to make a living. So, you know, those things have, you know, have gone I, together I, pretty well. <laughs> I think I think you just hit on something uh, that very, very um, important. Uh, that is to say, there are people, because I, I relate to what you just said, I, I am also easily bored in that no matter what it is I'm doing, it's fine for a while, but then I'm like, I get a little restless. Yep. So I find I have to have different kinds of things. It's just mm -hmm. in my nature to be that way, you know? And and it does, it it did serve me well in terms of making a living because having different skill sets, you could do different things. Um, it is it is a tough road just to be a concert classical guitarist. I don't, I mean, I'm that's, that's sure really... That really exists as a possibility I'm not sure it does either. Yeah, it did. Days, By the way, know? I really, I recognize I was very fortunate to sort of come up when I did. It did exist. Yeah. I can tell you about it. <laughs> Please do. It did, it did exist at one time. Yeah. And at that time, uh, I remember that sort of after Julian Bream hit the scene and then shortly after that John Williams was around, it became kind of a cool thing for a concert series to have a guitarist on their program. It was novel, right? right? And so, and I, I was at, at a time when there was Christopher Parkening, Michael Lorimer, and, yeah. and uh, a few others, but really not a lot of people who could sure. do that, right? So it was great. Uh, and there was, it was like a big pie and you could get a slice of the pie. <laughs> then at a certain point, now the time is moving on, you know, more and more guitarists are, uh, yeah. the pie is not getting bigger. Right. If anything, <laughs> if anything, the pie is getting smaller because some concert presenters saying, yeah, yeah, we've had guitar the last right. seven it's, years, but I don't no feel we have to. Yeah, it's, right. yeah. And so uh, I think it may be a thing, I don't know this, but it may be a thing that is the solo classical guitar career for a very few people, you know, yeah. uh, and of the highest caliber. And sure. uh, other than that, and, and I just think people have to find a way, if they want to do that, that's fine, but find a way to subsidize that with other endeavors yeah. you know, to make that happen. I don't know that there's really, uh, as you say, that is really a thing anymore. Yeah. It's, it's, one of the things I think is interesting, too, is, you know, you, you talk about that time when it, when it was novel and concert series wanted to get guitarists and whatnot. And I think from that, it kind of mutated into the guitar society thing, you know, which is, is great. I mean, it really is fantastic, but yeah. it's, 
it's not a wider audience. It's 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 so insular. Right. You know, you've got guitarists playing for guitarists. Right. You know, and and by and large, most of those organizations are on on very very small budgets, and so sure. you know, sure. and, and I don't think there's you know there's certainly the the concerts are there, but not yes. not in a way that it, it's easy for for people to to do the touring and and, and make sure. a living and build audience and, and that sure. that kind of thing. Um, you know, and I and one of the things that for me is 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 kind of an interesting idea and something that that I, I think has a lot of promise is this idea of you know why don't we take the music to the people and and you know think think outside of the concert hall a little bit and I, I wonder you know what what possibilities there are in 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 that sort of thing and and, and even now um, part of that too is the, the whole amplification route I, I'm you know anytime I see a guitarist on stage, like pictures of guitarists on stage on Facebook or anything like that now it's like there's always a microphone there you know? it's like, <laughs> this this was so taboo 20 yes. years ago you know oh, absolutely like, and absolutely. It, it's kind of interesting how that that's all kind of changed and 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 uh, transformed that way but uh, you yeah, know you mentioned uh, this idea of, of uh, thinking outside the box and bringing the music to the people I don't know if you ever discussed this with Ben but Ben and I and a number of other guitarists were part of a program for many, many years. Uh, it doesn't exist any longer, unfortunately. It was called Affiliate Artists. Oh, sure. And some, someone had the bright idea to take large corporations. Now, this also had to do with the tax laws at the time, which was very okay. favorable. If they would sponsor, right. uh, and I'm talking now about Exxon, you sure. know, and Alcoa Aluminum and, sure. and Ford Motor Company, you know, the biggest corporate yeah. sponsors. So they put together that money they had an office in New York City where they would then recruit not just New York City artists from all over the country, performing artists, but they liked guitarists because we were very mobile. We didn't right. require an accompanist, you know, pianist. And they, their idea was to take uh, the arts to remote places. And I played in, I played in uh, maximum security prison, believe it or not. I played, wow. yeah, I didn't know it was that, by the way. I asked my... <laughs> I asked my hey, uh, the gig today? <laughs> I asked my uh, my my sponsor as we were leaving. I said, "Have any of those guys uh, committed murder?" And she said, "All of them." Oh my gosh! But oh my I, gosh! Yeah, but I I they they I guess had you play a little, well. <laughs> they had a little. Well, I'll tell you what. They had a little band, you know, like a little group. They yeah. Had. So I said, well, "Let me play with you guys." So I played with oh, their band. Fantastic! I did, and then I played for them solo. Then they, then I had proven myself yeah. to them. Then I could play solo. But when I say, you know, take it to the remote places, you know, car dealerships and yeah, uh, sure. you know shopping malls or whatever, and it was tough. Yeah. But you played two concerts a day every day, you yeah. know. Uh, uh, for two weeks at a time, you talked about your music, and it, it was a brilliant uh, organization. Then and many of us, Ben, that's how Ben got hooked up with Hawaii. You know, oh, uh, really? Yeah, that was one yeah. of appointments. Um, but you could, they could send you to any 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 number of places. But you really made uh, it, it helped you cultivate your art, and you would make contacts for later on. And that was a great idea. And when it changed was when the tax laws were no longer favorable. It was in the 1980s, and then all of a sudden, right. it was gone. But it was a, it was fabulous. It was a fabulous huh. way for a young artist to get his get his feet sure. wet and get yeah. started. Get and it was it was good for everybody. Yeah. It was good. For everybody got got something out of it. You know. Yeah. I but I like yeah I, I like that idea very much. There was um, a number of years ago I talked with a I can't remember his name. I was at some arts conference and he was 
he was out in New Mexico. I think he was living in Santa Fe at the time, but um, he, he he was doing these things where he his wife was a fiber artist, mm. and they would do residencies together. They they and and their marketing was just so strong, so good, you know, so that they could really sell this product, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they, would, they would go to a community, and they only did week-long residencies, and they charged an astronomical amount of money, and they got it, because they they would convince these people that was hiring them, look, we're going to add value to your community in, in, in an intense way, and he, t- he would talk about those kinds of things, like going and playing you know, at, at the, the, the lunchroom of the largest employer in the town, those kinds of things, and, and you know, giving out free tickets to the concert and those those sorts of events, and just reaching out to people who wouldn't ordinarily think, hey, yeah, I think, I think I'll go to a guitar concert this evening, you know? Um, and I just, you know, that, that, that idea has, has stuck with me a lot as well, you know? You, you mentioned about um, thinking outside the box, and I think now it's just essential right. that we do this. It, right. It's just essential. And so hallelujah to that, you know. I mean, like, <laughs> amen. You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think right. that's a, that's a, that's good for everybody. And, and yeah, uh, absolutely, you know. absolutely. Wow, great. Well, I yeah, I I, I think we've covered some ground here, Fred. I, I really really appreciate your time, I, I, and, and it's oh, so, it's it's been it's so a pleasure wonderful. talking to you. It's a pleasure talking to you. It really is. And uh, I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna end the episode with with a, a, a bit from your ballad for Astor Piazzolla. Do you want to talk a little bit about that piece? Sure. Yeah. Um, I had a student uh, just a few years ago doing his doctoral work at the uh, City University of New York Graduate Center, and he's uh, his name is Federico Diaz. He's a brilliant guitarist. He's uh, Argentinian, and uh, his uh, thesis, his doctoral thesis, was on the music of Piazzolla, and uh, he had to play a, a final concert, and in this concert, of course, there would be Piazzolla's music would be featured. But he he wanted to find a, a couple of composers who were influenced by Piazzolla, and I certainly was. And uh, he asked me to write this piece for his uh, his concert, and uh, I found when I oh, and by the way, he found pieces by Piazzolla that were off the beaten track that I had never heard of. One of them was was titled Ballad, so I stole okay. that title. <laughs> and and um, yeah, so so as I was writing the piece, I was I, I felt my inner Piazzolla coming out. I, I got it, I immediately fell into a kind of a Latin groove, <laughs> which is not hard to do on the guitar, we know, you know. And um, yeah, so so he uh, uh, was the inspiration for that, and he actually has a beautiful uh, uh, video of that on YouTube. Um, and I then recorded it on this album. Uh, by the way, I just want to mention one last plug for this album. Uh, the album is called um, it's called Across Time, and it's coming out April twenty second, and it will be available on all the streaming platforms like you know Spotify. It's going to be available Amazon Music and iTunes and uh, Apple Music and all that. And you have a website. Yeah, and I do have a website, and and uh, uh, the ba- the ballad is on that uh, is on that album. So I just wanted to get a get that in there. Everybody, go buy it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you <laughs> for saying that. <laughs> Well, Fred, it's I, been delightful again, talking I, to you. Yeah, I really, really appreciate your time, and and I would love to, to have you back sometime. And good luck with the the recording and anything else you've got coming up in the in the near future. Um, but uh, I, again, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a pleasure.
This is Carl Woolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Guitar on My Knee podcast. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com or Carl Woolwind Guitarist on Facebook.